We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. Like craft beer for your ears. This is the PT Pinecast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to PT Pinecast, the Halloween edition. A show that uh, saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories in the world of physical therapy. I'm your host, Jimmy McKay. They say the best conversations happen at happy hour. Welcome to ours. Do not forget, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Plus, video casting these episodes, if you dare. Online, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, at PT Pinecast, on the socials. This, a very scary anatomy edition, as we bring in our guest, educator, academic, from Colorado, Mike Pasco. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jimmy. Hello, Mike. This is the first time I'm I'm coming in complete character to an episode. What are your thoughts on my bone structure? I was going to say uh, you're missing some foramina, but other than that, in general, you're looking pretty good. <laughs> what if we went more in depth? What if we went half bone and half muscles of the face? You know, you're a deep guy, so I'm liking it. It really, it really reflects you well. Yeah. Yeah, this is the different visuals that we get to do. I'm a radio guy. We're not used to having all these different things that we can do with the funny cameras and the Snapchat filters. Wow, and the- nice. I had no, but when we planned this episode, I was like, let, if, if we're going to talk anatomy with Mike, we're going to finally get him on the show. It's going to be close to Halloween. And then also I was like, oh my gosh, like Halloween's this weekend. I have no idea how it crept up on us that fast. How did that happen? Yeah, t- time and space have completely changed, uh, you could say, lately. So <laughs> that's how it happened for me. Things just drag on. All right, Mike, superhero backstory. Let everybody know what you get to do within the profession. And when someone asks, what do you do, how do you answer? Cool. So, um, yeah, it's usually in the context of um, a physical therapy discussion, um, but sometimes it's the, it's the occasional person on the street. So I usually say, hey, I'm an anatomy educator and I work at the uh, medical campus here at the University of Colorado, and I am uh, working with PT students um, for the majority of their anatomy curriculum. And I get to work with them in year one and year two. We've got a real innovative curriculum. And instead of cramming all anatomy in one 10-week blitz, we spread things out across two years. And I'm working with students in lab and yeah, we have that real neat component to our, our program as well. So that's what I get to do with um, PT students. And, you know, I'm not a I'm not a PT, so um, I'm just a PhD. I usually work that one in there some way, but I am a PT by association. My wife, uh, Stephanie, is a PT. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how I respond to that question. Nice. I like that. How do you break that up before we get started? Do you, like when you when you spread it over two years, do you do upper, lower? Like how do you yeah. how do you how do you split it? Yeah, the split is uh, we're going to start with the upper limb and then go on to the thorax and the head and neck. And then because the upper limb really lays a nice pattern for the lower limb, we wrap everything up in year one with the lower limb. And so then that leaves in year two, the abdomen and the pelvis. All right. Uh, So first questions are always the hardest, Mike. Uh, What are we drinking? Oh, gosh. Um, I happened to grab something out of my Breckenridge uh, Brewery uh, sampler pack. And yeah. this is called Strawberry Sky. It just happened to be what was coming up next on the top of the box. So yeah. cheers. 
I like that. Cheers to you. I'm going a little bit something different. I'm doing the uh, the there's a brown ale from Newburgh Brewing Company, and actually a professor, PT professor out of Sacred Heart University, sent me a couple of these like four packs, and this was one because I'm local to Newburgh. So thank you to Jay mm. Grant, Sacred Heart University. So cheers to Mike Pasco, who is finally on the show. Got my uh, Colorado beer as well. Keeping very, it local. Very brown ale Uh First round brought to you by our friends from Owens Recovery Science. They are a single source for PTs looking for certification and personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training and the equipment you yeah. need to apply it properly. Pause for a dramatic effect. Uh, in your clinical practice. Find them online at owensrecoveryscience.com and they have their new podcast uh, on iTunes where Johnny and the team get to go deep into BFR, the research and the whole nine. It's called the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. We do want to say that there's something coming up. We just had Jay Grimes, who got me the beer on the show, and they are putting together a Northeast regional conference, right? So we're on this virtual world. Four states in the New England area joining forces to put on their own virtual conference. Might as well, you know, collaborate and bring your strengths together. So it's Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island. And that's going to be on uh, November 7th. We're going to put the link to that conference because uh, you can either watch live or experience live on November 7th. And then the, the, um, Materials are available to you through the end of the year. So that's pretty cool. I will actually be presenting on that. And I'm doing the 11 commandments of communication. Moses doesn't have anything on me because I'm bringing 11 commandments of communication to the uh, to the presentation. So uh, Northeast Conference will have the, uh, the link below in the comments as well as the show notes if you want to check that out. Um, all right, Mike, we're talking we're talking anatomy. Right. It's very apropos for, you know, kind of Halloween. So teaching anatomy. Where, what should be, people be thinking about? What should students, if they're listening, um, be preparing for? Because anatomy, no small feat. See what I did there. Anatomy pun right off the bat. Yeah, uh, to be honest, pretty good one. Um, yeah, I would say, yeah, if you're getting ready to engage in an anatomy course and an anatomy program in your training, no matter what your um, healthcare specialty I mean, I think the big picture is you're trying to figure out how the body is organized. When you leave anatomy class and you are with a patient, guess what? Every patient is going to be an exam for you, an anatomy exam, if you will. So you need to um, leave anatomy with a sense of how the body's organized. So I like to say that in anatomy, um, in, in most curricula, it comes first. So I have a real unique perspective. I get to work with um, what we call the early learner. So they're coming most typically out of undergrad. Sometimes they've done other life experiences, but anyway, they're coming in and they are um, getting ready for a jolt because they need to take a strong look at their study strategies. So to anybody that's getting ready to dive into an anatomy course, um, a healthcare profession, uh, you need to take a strong look at what your study strategies look like because anatomy comes with a lot of baggage, yeah. uh, if you will. And yeah, uh, that's, that's some of the things that come to mind, Jimmy. It's the foundation, right? Because everything else after after that is is going to be you know based on this, and you're going to be able to reference that mentally. Um, so, so how, yeah. what are your study strategies? How how would you like? How, how should people organize? I mean, I feel like people teaching anatomy are as different as uh, as the day is long. But how would you recommend people organize that? You you said they're gonna they, they should get ready for a jolt of a lot of information. Mm -hmm. right? uh, my anatomy professor. Uh, Sky Donovan did say you, you kind of come with a cheat sheet because you walk into every anatomy test with a physical representation of the human body with you. Um, so just mentally prepare for, all right, if you peel the skin back and the muscles, what are you looking at? 
Um, but what's what's good study strategies? I did a lot of coloring. Some people are very, very, you know, kind of tactile and use that anatomy coloring book. That helped me sometimes. Some people draw on their body. I did that a little bit in terms of nerves. That helped me visualize that a lot. A lot of, you know, Sharpie on the skin there. Um, but what are some things that students or people who want to brush up and, and get better at this, uh, what can they do to set themselves up for success? Yeah, it's all about the underpinning strategy. So uh, body painting certainly has a lot of, um, you know, uh, good, uh, yeah, good literature behind it to support what it's all about. But really, without getting into like individual techniques, let's just make it bigger. And let's say, unfortunately, if you want your anatomy and your learning to be durable, it has to be difficult. So I'm going to tell you that you can't cram anymore like you did undergrad. Yeah. Um, you cannot read and reread um, paragraphs in your textbook. You can't rewatch lectures um, and highlight in your books. Those things are all very passive and they are not very, um, they're not very difficult. So unfortunately, I mean, the term in, in educational literature is making it stick, right? So you need to have something very challenging. So fortunately, like once you get exposed to those basic principles, then you go to any of your classes and you, you bring this viewpoint of what am I going to do to make it challenging? So no matter what you're learning, um, what I like to suggest to students is do the blank page challenge. Okay. So get your learning objectives over here, get a blank document, and can you do on your blank page what the learning objective is asking you to do? If you are rereading your lecture slides or your lecture notes, are you really able to do that? Are you going to retrieve that information when it's um, an exam or a patient in front of you. So th that's like the big thing, Jimmy, that I say is make sure you've got something that's difficult, which is goes along with learning is counterintuitive. Um, the more difficult learning is actually the more we learn and the more it sticks. Yeah. I mean, when you put when you can put yourself in a similar environment to being tested, which is, oh, this is hard. I got a shot of adrenaline that just shot out in my bloodstream and I'm uncomfortable and here comes the sweats. Um, that's when you know it's difficult, but that's going to simulate the test environment, right? I mean, I remember the first anatomy practical we had and you walked into the room and, you know, everybody had to, you know, no talking and you were going to walk from station to station. That's how we organized it. And that was pretty intimidating. And it was, it was fatiguing. That was one thing that our professor prepared us for, um, to her credit, but I don't think I realized how fatiguing, Oh man, I don't know. There were like 30 stations and you were standing at each one for two minutes or something. That's an hour of standing on that anatomy floor, which could trash your knees and your lower back and, every, and, your, and everything. But just having the stamina to say, okay, I'm going to go over here and now I've got to reload. Whatever I just think I either made or missed over there at station five, throw it out. Doesn't matter right now. I'm at station six. So I think that putting yourself into difficult situations is the best way to do it. Yeah, sure. Phys physically and yeah, cognitively for sure. I mean, there there are there's so much we can draw from our colleagues in cognitive neuroscience about what makes learning best, and just that repeated retrieval practice is really important. So for a long time, I always looked at students that made stacks of note cards. I always kind of gave them the side eye because I was always wondering, like, is that really good? Is that really right. helpful? But it is if used properly, if you are truly testing what you know without flipping to the back and cheating, that's, that's effective. That's going to stick. If you can do that, yeah. Uh, I had, and I'm sure you've got stories upon stories. Anybody who teaches anatomy sees like funny, weird things that students have done. I had a classmate. She knitted, knitted out of yarn the brachial plexus, and that helped her. 
I looked at it when she brought it into class to show everybody she was proud. It was a great feat of knitting. It made me immediately sweaty and scared because it looked even more confused. I think it was more confusing than the actual human body, than the cadavers we were working on. But what what are besides note cards and knitting the brachial plexus, what are some different things you've seen students do? Yeah, I mean, certainly the the body painting, the body marking. Um, I've seen students make up dances that will help them remember the dermatomes and the myotomes. Uh, so, you know, some very uh, kinesthetic and active individuals there. Um, I've seen paper models. I've seen people doing a lot of drawings. And, you know, the the great thing about all of these different modalities is, is there's a way to kind of bring them all together. Um, and that's what was really one of the, the benefits of a platform that we were using at the University of Colorado. That's like a wiki page. I don't want to derail us too much, but as you say, um, students have all these different ways of learning and it is a tragedy that they don't get shared and disseminated in an easy to find manner. And with technology, like if you can edit a Word document, you can edit a wiki page. And so we did have um, a lot of students contribute their drawings. Um, Every time I get my course evals, which I just went through my summer course evals not too long ago, students really like the drawing exercises draw the brachial plexus, uh, summarize the arterial supply of the upper limb. So yeah, it's really good to see what kinds of things the students are um, bringing in. And that's why I love my job is every cohort of PT students is different. They have different backgrounds, um, different strategies, different experiences, and different ways of looking at anatomy. And just when I think this is the year that I've heard every way to look at the brachial plexus, a student will show me their notes and it's a totally new way of looking at it. Wow. It's kind of cool to see how people, you know, you get 40 students in one room and you show them the exact same thing and they will come back with 40 completely different views of what you just showed them. Keep I, you on I, your toes. I love that. And some, I mean, I had classmates. I was a big app guy. I had, you know, I had the computer. I could, I could just kind of cast my, uh, my, my laptop on the screen. And I loved using like uh, essential anatomy and kind of spinning the body, taking away parts, going deep, going uh, external. And I, I thought that was really, really innovative. I did not like, I still have my netter and my moors. I didn't like it. To me, it was like, it was overload. I liked how the app, I could take things away and I could, I could not see them. Have you ever seen, um, it's called the concise book of muscles and the author name is Jarmy. It's really great. It's almost cartoon like, but I suggested that for all the students, the year and two years behind me hmm. when they said, listen, the netter book is like a phone book and it's great. But I was like, honestly, hmm. for me, it was like cognitive overload, which you mentioned. Hmm. And uh, this jar Jarmy was the author. It's uh, it was on Amazon and hmm. it was called the concise book of muscles. And for me, it did, it did exactly what I needed to do is, Where's the muscle? Okay, got it in context to some bony landmarks. Hmm. What's the origin insertion? What's the action? What's the uh, the innervation? Great, I got the blood supply too. Let me move on. But it was it was more flashcardy for me when I looked at um, more or netter. I literally started to like get sweaty. I'd have like a physiological reaction. I was like too much, too much, too much. I'm gonna overload. Um, question from the audience right here, Joe Mountain, no stranger to the show. Uh, she wants to know what you think about comparing and con- uh, comparing and contrasting joints, shoulder joint with the hip knee with the elbow, foot in the hand. Uh, this is how it was taught to her, and it really stuck. What do you think about that, using those things to compare? You mentioned at the top of the show, you guys yeah. start with upper yeah. quarter, thoracic neck, and then work your way down. Exactly, and that is exactly the approach that is taken. So we talk about adaptations. The upper limb is adapted for mobility. Um, we have a, in, in the PT world, we have the hand is the focus of the universe. 
the whole point of all of this is to put the hand in space. Mm -hmm. That's a very hand-centric model, and I like that. And we go through all of that, and we talk about well, what's the trade-off if you don't have um, if you don't have um, if you have a lot of mobility, you're going to give up on stability. But then things flip when you go down to the lower limb. So that definitely happens. We get to compare and contrast uh, the different types of synovial joints and the different um, extremities, and that is done. And I'm kind of glad to hear from the listener that that helped things solidify and stick for them because I don't get that direct feedback, but that's the way I do it. So that's reassuring. Yeah. And you're hearing, as you mentioned, you know, you're hearing every semester is something uh, more different, different from the students. Uh, Katie chiming in or more PT specific. Right. I lucked out that I in the semester I was taking anatomy was my first integrated clinical experience. And I actually, I want to pat myself on the back, but since this is so mobile, pat, pat, um, I was working with some of the, um, the, the PT techs who were at that point in their career, you know, uh, taking classes to apply for PT school. And I instituted muscle of the day. And I would bring that concise book of muscle. Mm -hmm. I'd photocopy it 10 times and I would put it on the inside of a, a cabinet door or on the desk that the texts and the, the PT students use. And I would just randomly call out uh, what's what's the uh, origin and assertion. And whoever answered first, you know, kind of got a point or whatever. Like, all right, what's the action? And you could see people like doing, OK, OK, action. What's it going to be? Yeah, put your finger here. Put your finger there. Then then move it. And that was more as Katie is, is saying, more PT specific, which is like, yeah, in a silo, it's really cool that, you know, it's, it, 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 it attaches to the lateral third of whatever, whatever, but like, what's it do? Where's it go from? What's it used in? You know, what's it going to be? How can yeah. you challenge it? How do you stretch it? Like, how do you like, so that was, you know, it, as Katie is saying, more PT specific, which definitely helped with me. And that's why I referenced that concise book of muscles. Cause I like cartoons and it felt like a real cartoon model for me. Sure, I'll have to look into that. I'm not familiar with that one. It kind of sounds like the trail guide to yeah. the body, which is great for palpation. Yeah, that's got to be on every PT's uh, bookshelf. That's quite good. And yeah, Katie's onto something there with regards to context. Uh, every time I teach at the professional school level and I'm working with the clinical group, they have to be asking and they're like, why is he talking about lymphatic drainage of the uh -huh. abdomen? Why do I care? So, you know, you, I do look to Moore's. Um, essential uh, clinical anatomy, being a non-clinician myself, I do look to several good textbooks, a lot of the um, clinical anatomy journals. I'll see a real interesting um, you know, case study. I can bring that in and, and provide that. There's a lot of resources out there. Radiopedia is great for these things. And yeah, for the PT student to really get engaged and really connect, you have to frame it in a PT practice context. Yeah, I had a great professor um, at, in PT school and he was from Ireland. So of course he just sounded really like cool with the accent and he would always just be like what so what now what like okay like, great jimmy you know like the origin and the insertion and the innervation of this muscle like why and i was like but i know all of them he's like great 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 why 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 and i'm like oh great yeah i'm gonna have to do something with this eventually it's like right so understand that it it, it comes with a reason um do you uh so cadaver lab is that what you're using because there are some programs who are going to either the syndavers with the syn synthetic um cadavers mm -hmm. and some are having to use you know applications and computer programs but um you know in terms of uh in, you know impact with covid how have you guys been able to to still do that it depends on what program we're talking about so for I mean, early in uh, the, the pandemic, pretty much the lab was shut down and, and the students that were in the lab in the spring, they had to leave the lab. So then um, what happened with that second year anatomy course that I mentioned, we were all remote. Um, the course had some changes. We went from a six week 
second year course to a three week course and did it all remotely uh, using other representations of the body. So I was bringing in an app in that case uh, for this case study. And I, from what I heard from the students, it went pretty well. Again, as I talk about the big picture is how is the body put together? How are things organized? And if I'm palpating somebody's arm, do I understand what is uh, where relative to everything else? So I do feel like a lot of these 3D apps uh, do that. And in the same breath, I also say that that is still second tier to actually working with actual human anatomy. And so what happened with the first year anatomy program, we were all remote in June, but then we got back in the lab in July and August. So I had to intentionally think about um, what are we gonna do um, what are we going to do in lab when we come back together? And my colleague who I teach anatomy with, David James, made a great suggestion. He said, well, they're PTs. It's an MSK focus. Let's do thorax, head, and neck virtually. And let's do upper and lower limb as dissection in anatomy lab. So um, the medical students came in and they worked with donors. Uh, the physician assistant group, we are taking a different path for many different reasons. And we're, we're remote and we're virtual. So there's a big diversity of answers there, Jimmy, on what people are doing. But the the group of anatomy educators um, in our country has made a real nice guiding document that explains why donor-based anatomy is so critical and essential because that's what all the schools are doing. They're looking at everything that's done on campus. Is it essential? Can we cut it? So if anatomists want to do anatomy on campus, there is a guiding document out there. Where can they go to find that? If someone's Yep, yep, you're going to want to look for the American Association for Anatomy. Uh, a group of my colleagues put this uh, excellent document together, and it's just a real good position paper that you could hand over to your university administration and say, hey, um, this is actually recommended as a very um, high standard. And if you're looking to educate your students the best that you can, um, here we go. These are reasons why it's safe and how you can do it safely. And that's what we were able to do at the University of Colorado. Yeah, best practice in action. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike, you, you alluded to a student wiki, and I actually participated in, I'd never heard of what a wiki was before I went to PT school, but that professor mm -hmm. I just re referenced, Jason Craig, mm -hmm. um, cool Irish accent, he put one together called Morphopedics, which is like one of the most accessed, he gets like a gajillion hits a month or whatever, because he's, he went to a conference years ago and they mentioned here's this thing we can do now in education wikis and he made one and it it proved right because every year he made the students he picked either a different body region or a different um project for everybody to contribute so he always had mm -hmm. 40 people contributing person per year um but student wikis we've all we know wikipedia right and those mm -hmm. things are related to wiki so if you've seen wikipedia right that's that's the number one wiki mm -hmm. but this is terribly helpful because it, it's a different way for a lot of contributors to, uh, to arrange information in different ways. Very helpful. Absolutely. And the genesis for the wiki at, at our university was there was a, gosh, at that time, it was a Google group. I think about like a Facebook group. It's closed, it's private, and all of your classmates are dropping in their Anki flashcards, their drawings. Uh, they, they copied and pasted the learning objectives and they've answered the learning objectives underneath each one great strategy. But what was happening is as they were sharing these things, it was chronological, right? So where is that awesome drawing of the brachial plexus? And people would spend a lot of time trying to find that stuff. So the wiki um, has no chronology to it. It's basically a website where you create pages, you add content, 
Um, hyperlinking is a big thing. You can embed any videos that you find that are interesting. We saw students doing that. So that was the real genesis of this student wiki. And as you mentioned with the wiki that you participated in, um, a lot of volume, a lot of hits, a lot of traffic, very popular and highly utilized. Yeah. Um, different elements for, um, you know, studying and sharing. You mentioned light field photography. I, I purposely didn't Google it because I was like, I want Mike to be the first person to explain to me. What, what is light field photography? Well, okay. Um, maybe you probably haven't heard of it by its technical then name then, uh, planoptic photography. But when you go on Wikipedia and look up light field photography, you'll see uh, planoptic. So basically, um, these uh, researchers... Um, they have basically found a way to take the light that comes in through the camera and they, they break it up into many different um, vectors or, or arrays. And the sensor um, at the back of the camera is capturing not only the, the visual information, but information on the direction that the light is taking. So why do we care? What does that do for us? That allows the focal point to be adjusted after the picture is taken. Traditional photography, Depending on your subject and you know foreground, background, you have to choose what's going to be my focal point. But with planoptic or light field photography, you can change this. And I believe you're actually seeing this technology making its way as predicted into smartphones. I'm not sure if iPhone has this or if any of the Samsung phones have this, but you, with all the different cameras that are on the back of the phone now, uh, you're able to take your photos on your camera roll and you can change what's in focus. So that's the basic idea of what the technology does for you. That's pretty cool. Uh, digital dissection guides. What, what, what's involved in those? Is that is that more the apps, like you know, the essential anatomies of the mm -hmm. world? Or? So don't think about that. Think about the the very tedious task of dissecting a human body. Right. And you're an educator, and you have your students, and you have your objectives. How are you going to guide the students in taking the body apart? And so what we found was challenging is we had a third party generic dissection guide. It's very popular, it's very good, but year after year, there were the same comments from the students. Um, it's unclear, we don't know how far to take this nerve, we don't know how far to take this vein, um, where do we cut this? There were just all these little tweaks and talk about extraneous load, we would say, do pages nine through 15. Oh, but then on page seven, don't do this. And on page six, do this, this, and this. I mean, it was just mind blowing to be in that environment for the first time, let alone following these instructions. So for many years, um, many anatomists were, were saying, we need to come up with our own custom dissection instructions. And this kind of you know rule of specificity, the more specific and tailor made something is, the better it's gonna be. And that's exactly what we found. We right. put together um, a dissection guide for the lower extremity, um, customized it, leveraged these um, effective learning strategies. So quizzes as you go through for that retrieval practice piece. And the experimental group, they scored 8% higher than the control group did. I mean, that's almost like a full letter grade. Right. That, that's pretty big in terms of impact on learning outcomes. So that's what we did. Um, we used Apple, iBook author. I'm a bit of a Mac fanboy, so I was you know, drawn toward that. It's a free platform. And you know, everything Apple does is very graphical and artistically oriented. So it's real easy to put together. And it's really um, reassuring because now I can go on to my next region and write that without worrying is this a waste of my time? Is this a waste of my precious time? So I definitely recommend uh, considering what what we found and what we did. Yeah, my my professor of anatomy, Sky Donovan, chiming in right now. She had to write her own manual, study guide, mm -hmm. and questions. Very labor intensive, but you bring things full circle, right? I mean, this is 
when you get an iPhone, when you get a new computer, when you get a program, the program, the computer, the phone actually teaches you how to use the program, the computer, or the phone, right? And that, that's kind of the world we live in, which is it's showing you how to do it. So it sounds like you were making it easier. You were using those concepts, like very Mac-oriented, right? I mean, Jobs was sure. famous for like focusing on the font and the, and, the, and, the type, and the typeface and everything in terms of making this as easy to use and as desirable to use. And that's what it seems like you're doing because this is very tedious. I mean, I was probably one of the worst anatomy students, and I think Sky will probably chime in to agree. I was a little freaked out. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I I definitely loved when the body was was dissected. So I, I lucked out because I had some great you know lab partner uh, uh, classmates. Um, I was fine with that, but it was the doing. I could not separate the doing. How do you separate the doing? I couldn't do it. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, I think uh, what we may be um, thinking about is similar in that we've had these great gains in learning, but I wasn't fully sure if it was the the jobs serif versus sans serif typeface? Uh, was it the quizzes? Was it the, the more efficient um, narrative that was given? Or was it the fact that, I mean, one of the things that students are experiencing in the lab is their dissection guide. For one reason or another, it, the electronic version takes up about 10% of the screen. Okay. It was really weird, it was really awkward. It, it's HTML, it's from a different era, web 1.0. And I just could not help myself to think like, why is this? Because we have giant IMAX in the anatomy lab. Why is that real estate not being taken uh, advantage of? So, you know, it's, you know, the, one of the limitations of the study was where exactly did these games come yeah, from? Right. Where was the win? Where were the wins from? Yeah. Um, what do you think? What will you do that? What will you do next time to try to figure that out? Yeah. I mean, I think next time. Um, in order to kind of tease those things out, I think what we're going to need to do is we're going to go on to probably from the lower limb to the upper limb. And we're going to need to um, just, yeah, I really don't know, honestly. I'm trying to, to think about it here and now as to what we could do to um, kind of remove some aspect and keep the other. Uh, it's, it's really hard to separate the two. So yeah, big deal. I think it's just that specificity principle that this is the objectives for the course. These are the structures that you need to find because uh, having a checklist, a structure ID list, that is very necessary because students would be told, here's your list for the class and here's the book. The book is going to ask you to find 10 more things than you need to. You'd walk over to a group and they're looking for one of those nerves. It's like, um, guys, uh, you don't need to look for You don't need to be able to identify that nerve and that never goes over well. So. Yeah. Stay tuned on that. I'll think of something. Guy chiming in to save me a little bit. She says, I was not the worst. So at least there was, at least <laughs> it means there was scientifically, it was one person at least worse than me. But anatomy is very hard, a, a learning skill. I mean, you mentioned this earlier, trying to observe, to do, and learn from what you're doing at the same time. It's pretty mm -hmm. difficult. Uh, it would be great to take anatomy twice. Um, I wouldn't mind doing it. Th I mean, I think, you know, all of us would be better the second time we do anything, but yeah, I think I would probably gain a lot more from doing, from taking anatomy again. So I'll be down in the lab pretty soon. Sky, no pressure. I'll be down there. Um, what other work do you get to do in, in, in the field in terms of research? Um, let's go, let's um, kind of dovetail off of that comment because when I do tell, especially PTs what I do, cause I go to CSM every year and uh, I love chatting with PTs, super friendly and outgoing. And they're, you know, they're always saying, oh, well, that's awesome that you teach anatomy. I loved anatomy. I love my anatomy professor. And um, I really wish I could get back in the lab. They always say that it's like a 95% success rate 
for them saying that. So um, we do have an opportunity um, at our university. We do um, a Marquette Challenge fundraiser where we bring um, practicing clinicians into the lab. And I just love the event so much because it's totally student led. And when you give students an opportunity to excel, I mean, they take it and they run with it and they do something better than I would probably put together. So what they do is they've done, and these are second year students, um, they've done a dissection of a donor down to the joint level. That's the benefit of having a second year anatomy course. Right. You do the abdomen and pelvis, and now with the remaining three weeks, you can do a very tedious investigation of the ligaments, the joint capsules, the articular surfaces, all that good stuff. And we always try to maximize the learning um, effect that the donors um, have because that's the mission of the state anatomical board, education of healthcare providers. And if we can go beyond the PT dissection course to now a continuing ed course, we're gonna do it. And we've been doing it for five years now. So the second years come in and volunteer their time on a Saturday and they take the clinicians through a demonstration of their prosection, of their dissection. So it's very good. We need to probably do some more um, systematic investigation of what the clinicians actually get out of it. But you right. know, the, the comments that they make, they love it. It was great. They got to review some brain anatomy with me, um, all of the different joints uh, in these different stations. And I mean, just the perspective that you have practicing for 20 to 25 years, you have this mental model of what the lateral ligaments of the ankle look like, right? But then right. you come back in the lab and you get to see that, um, touch that and see what motions are restricted in a pretty artificial environment for sure, but they really enjoy it. And I think it's hugely beneficial. Love the fact that you're doing it for the, the the Marquette Challenge, which benefits the Foundation for Physical Therapy Research, which if you want to go full circle, you're doing research to benefit research. Uh, I was just added to the board of trustees over there. So I'm, I'm excited for you, Mike. Maybe we'll try to, you know, try to we'll get on the phone with you, try to figure out how we can replicate that. Because I know that uh, Marymount University, where uh, where Sky taught me anatomy, uh, they make it a fundraiser as well, where they do something very, very similar. She, she heard the, uh, similar comments where clinicians in the D.C. area were saying, I'd love to get back in the lab just right this way. She raised money that way. So um, that's fantastic. What are some of the comments that you hear on the exit? Like, hey, th thanks for letting us come in. I learned what or I picked up or I, I forgot. I, I didn't remember this. Yeah, I mean, the, the knee stands out. Uh, getting an appreciation of the knee joint capsule, that is a big hit. That is very complex, how the patella interplays with that, um, how the menisci interplay, um, just the where things can go wrong with that synovial membrane, right? And, and where that can you know manifest in the knee joint itself. So um, they talk about that. They really get a hit out of the shoulder. Um, they really like seeing um, where the tendons are. And just, I think the joint capsule really stands out because I have to say that the joint capsule probably doesn't get a lot of press. It doesn't get a lot of attention when you're in your anatomy course that you are probably in. I mean, and in year one of our course, there's not time to go that deep. So they get to see the joint capsule and in the shoulder, they really get to, um, they really say like that shoulder capsule, that inferior aspect, there's nothing there. There's no tendons, there's no ligaments. No wonder that inferior um, dislocation is the most common direction. So, I mean, you just all these comments about the clinical correlates and yeah. how they do talk about, I have a patient that has this going on and now to be able to see it, I think it makes a lot more sense. Those are the kinds of comments I'm hearing.
Yeah. Reiterating too is teaching someone else is a fantastic way to teach yourself and remember as a student. And then conversations much more fun, uh, much more fun than flashcards. Conversations way better than presentations. That's like kind of the, the motto of the show. And then have you heard? Have you heard this one? Sky comes in with a hot quote. I forgot about the pectineus. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, the the poor uh, the poor pectineus. I haven't heard any any clinicians say that as they were leaving, but they were um, thinking. I'll have to listen closely. Yeah, that, that's a good one. <laughs> well, favorite part of the uh, the the body? I can't ask someone who who works in the world of anatomy. You know, yeah. what area do you like? Oh man, I, I I mean, that's like asking you know who which is my favorite daughter. I mean, come on, I find yeah. something fascinating about every region. But just to keep it exciting, um, I would not have a doctorate degree or uh, my amazing job if I didn't have the first dorsal interosseous muscle. So the, the hand, I did my dissertation on um, the, uh, you know, the activation signal to this little muscle when you do index finger abduction. You study that, you know, 200 times, they'll give you a PhD, right? So yeah. I'm very partial to hand anatomy, probably because I'm around these hand therapists and around these PTs who put this as a very hand-centric world. That's why we have all of this. Right. And I really like the intricacy. I mean, the dissection, when you can get a lumbrical out, when you can get some of these nerves out, the students are just really um, amazed when that starts happening. So I love the hand. Um, I, I love the way hand surgeons explain uh, the movement of the hand. I love the way PTs explain rehab of the hand, all the considerations of the ligaments. Um, I'm better stop because we'll run out of time. I love the hand. Well, I've got a quiz for it. I didn't prepare you on this, but it's a quiz question. I think you can handle it as someone who teaches anatomy and studied it. Uh, what is the largest lateral rotator of the neck? What is the largest rotator of the neck? What muscle is the largest rotator of the neck? What do you think it is? Oh, man. I mean, my intuition says sternocleidomastoid. It's actually my gluteus maximus when I walk by a group of girls. <laughs> hi Anybody? Was that a rim shot? I hope someone hit a rim shot. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I use that as a, a, a an opening joke at a conference, and it did get laughs there. Um, research you've done. You talked about uh, you know the dorsal interosseous that got you the PhD. What other research have, uh, have you done or are you doing in, in the world of anatomy? What are you working on? Yeah, so it's really it's really a wild ride because I was in um, a neurophysiology research lab, and so I really shifted gears. So I had to um, really consider like, what am I going to do? Where do I want to take this? And I was really pleased to find that there is a very vibrant scholarship of teaching and learning community within anatomy. So it's like a double bonus. I get to do research now on the scholarship of, of teaching and learning, um, educational pedagogy. And not only do I get kind of credit toward research, and I get to help my colleagues move their teaching forward, but I get to move my own teaching forward. So we've really hit on like the major projects that are going on, um, the light field photography, the wiki, the digital dissection guide. Um, there's a project going on with um, chatbots right now. So we were really curious if um, like the whole concept of a chatbot, like this information concierge, right. uh, students are going to want basic information um, when they're doing dissection. Let's bring a Google assistant into the lab. And um, so we were working on that one and trying to figure out the best way because our first idea is often your first iteration was not successful. There was a lot of technical um, hurdles to getting that set up on students' devices. And the, the questions they asked really blew our minds. We thought as educators, they would be dissecting and they would wanna know what's the attachment, the distal attachment of the brachialis because their dissection guide says, you know, 
you know, clear the muscle to its distal attachment. But they were asking questions like, what is the brachialis? I was like, wow, this is really interesting. So we're going to have to um, revamp and um, improve in the second round. So that's been a real fun project. And then uh, moving back to clinician training, we have another opportunity to extend um, the learning opportunity for the donors. So after the donors are used in our anatomy course, um, we have the respiratory um, physicians come in and they are uh, fellows and residents in training and they are practicing uh, cricothyrotomies. So this is, an, this is an emergent surgical procedure that many um, uh, respiratory um, physicians, they do not regularly perform. You might do one every 10 years, but it can be life-saving. There are situations um, in respiratory um, uh, therapy where you the, the airway may become blocked and to have a surgeon come over and perform the procedure, um, that's critical time you don't have. Right. So that's been a really fun project um, led by a medical student, um, Katerina. And basically what she did, she was a TA in anatomy um, over the summer with the PT students and she saw the opportunity. So we've run around... 12 to 15 clinicians through the training and to see their responses has been really rewarding. I mean, to know that you're in, so I indirectly affect patient care, right? I'm not allowed to touch people. That's one of my taglines. They don't let me touch people. They let me touch whole body donors, but I can't walk in and treat a patient, but I indirectly get to influence people that do. Uh, somebody may perform a life-saving cricothyrotomy because of the um, the opportunity that was given to them in our anatomy lab. Absolutely, yeah, that's great. Um, and you're getting the most miles from these donations. And I, I like how you call them, you know, donors. Um, we had a really great uh, ceremony. We used the labs at uh, George Washington University in D.C. We took the metro over there, and that's what we learned. Cool. And uh, they had, I'm sure they have this at most facilities too, most, most educational facilities too, which is the, the, the um, ceremony afterwards to thank the, mm -hmm. um, the families and the donors. Um, that was a moment in PT school that I really remember. What, what, what sort of things do you guys get to do with that? Yep. So um, again, if we want something done uh, pretty amazingly, we hand it to the students and we say, okay, students, uh, you uh, have been most close to these individuals. How do you want to honor them? So the, wow. it, it's very interprofessional. You've got all of the professions, all the vice presidents, they all come together, they put together a ceremony and they invite all the family members of those individuals that have donated in the last year. And so we have uh, musical performances, we have a chaplain say some words, uh, and then we have a representative uh, student speak from every one of the professions. So like a PT student will get up and they will give their reflection and talk about a very needed skill in healthcare, the ability to reflect. And we really nail that in our program and on our campus with interprofessional education, lots of writing assignments. And so the students will share those. And then we turn the microphone over to the family members. Any family member that would like to come up and say some words about their loved one can do that. And many times it's children or a spouse and you 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 get to you get to complete the picture because in the lab you're there to learn anatomy and of course we encourage students to express themselves and to ask the questions you know what who was this person what did they do um how did they use their body were they a farmer were they a cpa like all these different things right so when you see the family members come up they will talk about what their loved one did and body donation is anonymous 
no matter where you are, it's anonymous. So you don't know, but you kind of get a little piece filled in of mm -hmm. your experience of working with a donor. When you're like, okay, um, I wondered what my donor was like. And now uh, somebody that knows them the most is telling me what they were like. Wow. It's, it's really powerful. I thought it would be really powerful for the families. I went because I wanted to, I, I wanted to mm -hmm. respect that, but I got a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought I'd be there to, you know, be part of this, you know, just being in the audience. Mm -hmm. but for me, it really, as you mentioned, when I started hearing the stories about the people, not that I never, not that I didn't think of them as, as people and having a past and a, and a family, but when you hear it, I mean, that, that hits you. That, that 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 really hits you. You start to picture these people. I mean, now you're seeing their families. I got a ton out of that. That was something. I believe it was optional. Um, I don't think. I mean, I would strongly recommend going. Yeah. Yeah, I think I and I'm pleased to see a very large turnout. We we pack our 600 seat auditorium. I think pretty much every student um, is there. It's really powerful. Yeah, it's good. I, I wanted to go back and, and not skip over the fact that you are making the most out of these donations. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the procedures that they get to try on. Um, a lot of other programs uh, can benefit from these uh, study of cadavers. So you've also got to worry, worry about finances and use them for multiple course, undergrad, graduate, how many different lives you mentioned. Mike mm -hmm. doesn't sure. touch patients, but he can, you know, he can touch cadavers and he can teach that way. Um, how many different lives and careers and things can you influence by these donations? And Mike, I'm in the, I'm the same boat as you. I mean, the first time I did this podcast, I was like, you know, how many different people can you affect? I mean, someone listening to Mike tonight, right now, as I record in my living room and Mike's at his house in Colorado, someone hears something, takes that idea and does something with it that changes someone else's life. And then, you know, it's the butterfly effect. So all these different parts of what we learn and how we, and how we're taught, they can, they can go far. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's a privilege for sure when you frame it that way. Yeah, I love that. Uh, anything else we didn't get into on this Halloween uh, edition, this anatomy edition of the, uh, of the show as we... Uh, you know, th there was one thing that was really helpful. I think it's very helpful in the era of COVID. And that is when we are forced to restructure our curricula, uh, based on these guidelines and these restrictions, it really begs the question, uh, sometimes cuts need to be made. There's a little pun for you, Jimmy. Cuts need to be made. So content cuts. So what are we going to cut out? And I've got colleagues in medicine that have done amazing studies that ask expert anatomists, okay, um, all, all the possible objectives and regions and topics of the body, which ones are need to know and which ones are nice to know and which ones are are you kidding me? Don't, don't burden the student with that. So I really like that idea. I did a, kind of like a survey of the of the field. Nobody's done that for physical therapy. So that's my my current writing project right now is getting this out the door. Um, I presented posters of this work. You can find that um, through my website and things like that. But basically, um, I get I put together a really big survey with around forty learning objectives. And I wanted to do something a little bit different than my colleagues did. Instead of a, what do expert anatomists think? I wanted to ask what do PTs, PT faculty, and recent graduates think is need to know versus nice to know and not essential. So that went out to like 400 people. It was a pretty wide net that was cast in, in those three different categories. And like 160, 170 people came back. So a pretty decent response rate. And I had them rate my learning objectives. So now I have a pretty good sense, like for example, 
all three categories, faculty, students, um, recent graduates, they all say that it is essential that a PT student is able to um, draw and label all peripheral nerves coming from the brachial plexus. Now, when you go to medicine, that's, that's different. That's my challenge, right? What do you teach to what group? Medicine, if you're going orthopedic or neurologic, then you need to know those things. But for MSK experts, movement scientists, you definitely need um, to have all 16 peripheral nerve branches. So I'm a PhD, as I mentioned. One survey found 50% of anatomists teaching in PT programs are PhDs. They're not clinicians. So some, in some ways, I felt like I was flying blind. But now I have this survey and these data that show me what is need to know. And you know what the best part is? I can have confidence not only in what I am asking the students to be able to do, but every time a student asks me, when do we really need to explain fetal circulation? I know from a very comprehensive, um, you know, I've got an algorithm to determine the minimal level of support to keep an objective versus to put it to the side. I know that fetal circulation is not something an entry level DPT needs to be able to explain. So I, I cut that out of my learning objectives, my recordings, my lectures, I gain time that right. we can devote to being able to name all those brachial plexus branches. Yeah. So you're using research to guide your, your, your educational practice. That's, that's what we do. I like it. All right. Um, we got to have you back. We got to figure out some way to twist this again. I'm sure you can, we can do that, but uh, for now we've got a tradition on the show. It is called three questions. Let's do it. Okay. Three questions brought to you by our friends from Arius Medical Staffing. Find them online at AURESmedical.com. Leaders in hashtag travel physical therapy. Uh, do what you want to do where you want to do it. Be a great physical therapist. Be a great physical therapist assistant. All settings. And again, all 50 states plus Washington, D.C. First question on three questions, Mike, is a where question. You're in Colorado. Pretty sweet place to be. Comes up a lot on this question. But say you've got to go out of Colorado. Where in the 50 states are you going to go first once this whole COVID thing lightens up? I want to take the family back to Gulf Shores, Alabama. Uh, the South is quite different for, for me as a Colorado native. And my wife took me there a couple of years ago and I loved it. The, the, the sandy beach, the water, the kids loved it. We're, we got to get back to Gulf Shores. I like it. Very smart. Uh, second question is a what question. And I keep it open-ended. But what is something that you've watched or read or listened to, book, movie, podcast, um, that you think the audience would get value from? I really enjoyed listening to Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Um, he's the guy that wrote Deep Work. And I think we all need to um, evaluate how we're using technology, especially in pandemic time when we're kind of thrust into technology. So I think Digital Minimalism was very impactful for me. And I think everyone else would benefit. That's going on my list because I watched The Social Dilemma and it scared myself. Oh, I got to check that one out. Yeah. That one on Netflix was a little scary for me. And I was I was like, yeah, I'm guilty of this and it ain't good. So it sounds like they're along the same lines. Uh, last question. We'd like to start now with people. Who is someone the audience should know more about? Oh, man. I keep it open and on purpose. Yeah, very good. Um, man, 
what am I going to say about who? <laughs> like who who's doing how about, can I say? Can I say themselves? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can because you kept it open ended. That's a very that's a very anatomy professor thing to say. Is they should know yes. more about themselves. You have to reflect. You have to ask yourself questions. What you're doing? Why you're doing it? And I have to say this to remind myself because that's kind of the joke in my marriage is that I'm a in the moment guy and I'm doing whatever is great right now. And I have been working on what do I want to do in the long term? And you got to know who you are to be able to answer that question. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull that one on you. I like that. No one's done it. Palpate yourself regularly, people. All right. That's three questions from Arius Medical Staffing, AURUSmedical.com. Find them online and see what, uh, see where you, your, your license and your career can take you. Last thing we do on the show is the parting shot. Parting shot brought to you by our friends and colleagues, the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Find them online at orthopt.org. Independent study courses. They get down to the nitty gritty. If you would like to uh, level up your orthopedic game, the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy, not a bad place to do it. Uh, if you're thinking about doing the uh, OCS exam, their current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy, I mean, I took a look at it. I almost uh, had a wrist injury just scrolling through their list of uh, references. It was a lot. It was a, that's what I'm trying to say is it's comprehensive, people. Uh, so go into it with a prepared uh, strategy, uh, something easy to follow, but that you know it'll get you there if you take your time. Current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy is what you want to do. Again, orthopt.org. So, Mike, parting shot, mic drop moment, last chance to lay something on the audience. What do you got for us? Um, make learning fun. So I want to show you my Halloween costume. Oh man. Um, I don't think I told you about this, but no. a couple of years ago, I uh, got a full body Lycra suit and I became Dermatome Man. Yes. So, so many people out there are loving this right now. When the time, when the time is right and students need to understand the given area of skin innervated by a spinal nerve, that's when the Dermatome suit comes out. Um, and just take my word for it. It does include trigeminal all the way to the, the coccygeal mm -hmm. region, uh, coccygeal uh, spinal nerves. And yeah, it's just, it's, these are the things I think that help make learning stick, uh, giving students a real actual representation of what things look like and how things work. And that's my parting shot, Jimmy. Wow. I, I'm loving that. Um, I know my former anatomy professor, uh, Sky Donovan is watching. She came in. Remember Mr. Goodbody? Uh, I, I had to look that up. I did not yes. know the reference until recently. It was a PBS show, and he yeah. used to walk yeah. in with the bodysuit and do the whole thing. But, uh, yes, yeah, Sky did a similar suit with the with the muscles, the superficial muscles. So must be an anatomy professor thing with you guys in the Lycra suits. I like that. Yeah, it's a special um, breed, yes. It's a special breed. Mike, appreciate you coming on, talking anatomy with us. We'll, we'll have you back on. We'll see how we can uh, how we can bring anatomy back into the conversation here. Uh, love the fact that we we're as close to Halloween as we can get and uh, on the program so thanks for your time and uh this was great yeah i appreciate it jimmy cheers yeah.
Love the PT Pinecast? Yes. Yes. Support the show by telling a friend or by leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play. All right, show today brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. Brooks IHL offering continuing education courses in numerous specialty areas, six PT residency programs, an OMPT fellowship, as well as challenging but rewarding internships. The IHL specializes in the translation of information from evidence to patient management. Learn what they can do for you to support your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. ptpintcast.com Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at buildpt.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It's poured fresh by me, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay. Ingredients are sourced by our chief connections officer, Sky Donovan from Marymount University. And it's brewed fresh by producer and physical therapist, Juliet Dassinger. And by producer and creator, second year PT student, Bridget Nolan from Sacred Heart University. PT Pinecast is a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories. Make sure to follow us online at PT Pinecast and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I absolutely love you. I love you, love you, love you. It's it's awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. And if you found value in the show, all we ask is that you tell a friend. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.